Well, if you would uh, take your, if you have a Bible, I'd, I'd uh, recommend you take it and open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, if you are using a pew Bible, our passage tonight can be found on page 1,257, uh, but either way, we will be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. First Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, again, beginning on page 1257 in the Pew Bible. Uh, let's give attention now to the reading of God's Word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel went the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inerrant word would he write its truths upon our hearts. Well, uh, as we live, as Pastor Matt mentioned in his uh, prayer, uh, we live in a, a, he hinted at at least, uh, that we live in a very uh, culturally divided time in our, our country's, uh, our country's history, really, but uh, certainly in recent history, uh, we have, it seems like we have nothing in common, certain people that live in certain parts of the country and other parts and people in different age groups or income brackets or whatever, uh, we all oftentimes are divided up or told that we should be divided up into these uh, different groups, and, and uh, that's a, a very uh, common thing. But uh, there are several things that we all have in common, and uh, I think I brought this up just recently with the, the seniors and graduates and college students, um, but I like to teach these things at the school, and I won't go over all of them, but just two of them. And uh, two things that we all share in common. The first one is that all human beings are made in God's image. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter uh, how old you are, when you were born. Uh, We are all made in in God's image. And if you uh, go back far enough, we all have Adam and Eve uh, as our our forefathers. Way back, uh, our mother and father originally are Adam and Eve, every human being. This is the Bible very clearly uh, teaches this. Every human being, wherever they live on the face of the earth, whatever their skin color or anything else, uh, we all go back to the same parents. So all of us are created specially in God's image. That is true. Uh, Tied to that, going back to Adam and Eve, is that we are all sinners. Uh, we have all inherited sin. We're born sinful. 
we're born sinful, we choose to sin, and thus uh, the reality that we have to face, whether we like it or not, but we all will face, is that all of us are going to die. Uh, As the Bible teaches, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Every human being, whether you're old or young or right now you're sick, healthy or whatever, you are going to die, believers and unbelievers. Again, unless you happen to be somebody who is alive when Christ returns, you are going to die. Again, that's a reality due to sin uh, that we all must face. However, for us tonight, uh, the believer should not, and I hasten to add, uh, the believer must not, we must not, view death, and in particular the death of other believers and ourselves, uh, we must not view death the same way that an unbeliever does, or the way that we view the death of somebody who is an unbeliever. So this passage that we're going to look at, that we just read, deals with how the Christian should view death, both their own and, again, in our passage tonight in particular, Uh, Those who have already died, those who are believers, those who are in the Lord, in Christ, who have been united to him by faith, uh, how we should understand where they are, uh, their future, uh, and so forth. And of course, uh, this applies to unbelievers as well. Uh, Unbelievers, when they die, uh, also do not just cease to be, or we'll be talking about the resurrection tonight. Uh, That applies to unbelievers as well. Uh, not in the same way. Uh, it is a, a, a horrible day for an unbeliever. But uh, Paul's uh, stress in this passage in four thirteen through eighteen is on believers uh, who have died. So again, just uh, very short, uh, just reminder. Uh, again, Paul was only in Thessalonica for a short time. We read about that in Acts. Uh, it was three to four weeks that he was there, and Paul was run out of the city mainly by the Jews there. And Silas and Timothy stayed. They had Paul leave. He wanted to stay. They told him to leave because they realized he was probably going to be killed if he stayed. Uh, We don't even know how we think Silas and Timothy were able to to stay there, perhaps unhindered, but uh, there's a good chance they weren't. And uh, there's probably a good chance of that because of some of the basic issues that the Thessalonians are really struggling with in terms of just basic theology about the resurrection from the dead. Um, about the, the return of Christ. We'll see, uh, as Pastor Matt goes, uh, Lord willing, next week to talk about the return of Christ and, and questions that the Thessalonians had about it. And uh, particularly when we get to Second Thessalonians, uh, when we get to questions such as people believing that Jesus had already returned and somehow they had missed out on it or something like that. And, you know, today we think, how on earth could somebody think that? But again, uh, Paul, for sure, and then potentially even Silas and Timothy, their ability to go and teach the Thessalonians was, was greatly hampered by persecution of, of uh, particularly Jews who lived there and who were uh, persecuting them. And then Thessalonians got it from their own countrymen, their fellow uh, Gentiles as well. But the question that we have uh, before us tonight, more than anything, is um, what about those who've died? Uh, Again, we don't know how long it's been since Paul was actually there in person speaking to them, Uh, but this big question they have that they want Paul to speak to is what happens 
to those who have died, believers is who we're speaking of here. It's not just anybody, but believers who have died. And uh, in particular, their question has to do with something. It's hard to to discern exactly what they're getting at, but somehow they seem to be under the the, uh, impression that those who have died will miss out on something having to do with Christ's return. Um, I heard in studying for this and preparing something about there was some teaching within Judaism about the resurrection of the dead, and there was some kind of teaching about if you were not alive when this were to happen, when the day of the Lord came, that it was they weren't so certain about what would happen to people during that time. That could be the background. Just to be totally honest, we're not really sure. But we do know that they have questions about the people who have already died. They know Jesus is going to return, and uh, they want to know if they're somehow uh, going to miss out or something like that. Now, as we do get to this uh, portion of First Thessalonians this week, Lord willing, next week, and then as we get to certain portions in Second Thessalonians, uh, something that I don't want us to do, and I know Matt doesn't want us to do either, is to miss the forest uh, for the trees and to see certain little passages that are a little bit obscure and miss the whole point of what Paul's talking about because they're things that we like to uh, sometimes argue about and other things. Uh, for instance, if you go down in verse 18, uh, we see, and Matt brought this up last week, but what it is that Paul wants them to be able to do with all this teaching, what we're going over tonight. So verse 18, the reason that Paul teaches this, what he expects them to be able to do is to encourage one another with these words. So if we're just leaving here and just having discussions on the steps about certain aspects about the resurrection or the return of Jesus, and we're not encouraged in any way whatsoever, and we're also not seeking to be able to encourage people when it comes to funerals of loved ones who have died in the Lord and other things, we're missing the forest for the trees. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't look at specific trees and talk about specific issues, but if that's all we're doing, uh, then we're missing really the point. And the big point that we're going to get to in this passage tonight, right off the bat, is in verses 13 and 14. And that brings us to our first point in the sermon, which is Paul's concern for the Thessalonians. In verses 13 and 14, again, even though Paul was away at this point. Paul was, had gone down to Athens. He was run out of Thessalonica, and now he's actually quite a bit away from them. Paul, remember, he says that he was taken away in, in body, really, but not in spirit. He was ripped away as like an orphan. It's actually the verb that he uses, that he was orphaned from them. He's down in Athens now. They're up there in Thessalonica, but all he can do really is think about them and hope and pray and think about their spiritual condition, how they're doing. And he gets this question about that they're struggling, they're, they're grieving over people who have died. So again, this is speaking of believers in particular that have died. So Paul takes this opportunity not just to cause them and, and help them with their theology, uh, but like I, any true theology, any true understanding of the Bible, any true understanding of the truth, Uh, is that it affects their lives, that it goes in through their head, obviously, and into their heart and works its way out. He wants them to have comfort, as we just read at the end, encouraging and comfort 
that it affects them and not just that they can walk around and go talk to other Thessalonians about how, you know, immature they are because they don't understand these things. He wants them to be able to comfort. And I must say this, uh, Matt and I were talking a little bit about this before uh, the, the service tonight, but um, we need to preach the Bible because real comfort, real assurance, um, I mean genuine based on reality, not wishful thinking, but real assurance as we go into our lives and when we face death, which again, unless Christ returns, and he could return during our lifetime, uh, he very well may not, though. He absolutely will return, but we don't know if it will be during our lifetime. Uh, but the, that we can have real assurance and not be people who are deceived. Uh, that must always be based off what the Bible says, what God's Word says. That's biblical assurance. Plenty of people out there today, unfortunately, have assurance about all sorts of things, and it's a false assurance. Uh, quite often there are people who are absolutely convinced of certain things, uh, even people that will say they're Christians, and it, you look at the Bible, and they shouldn't have that assurance based on what the Bible says. So Paul wants them to know the truth so that they can be comforted by what God says. So we can, uh, we can take it to the bank, as, as the kids like to say. Uh, but we can when we have God's Word before it. So again, the main verses I want to look at, uh, we will look at the whole thing, but are in verses 13 and 14. And it's that, uh, for a believer, that they should not grieve as those who have no hope, because death is not the end for a believer. Death is not the end for a believer. Let's actually look at verses 13 and 14. So Paul, speaking to the Thessalonians, says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. People often bring up that this comes from the verb where we get agnostic from, but it's really to be without knowledge. We don't want you to, to not be aware of, of reality here. Uh, he says, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve. This is why. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Uh, and then in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, sometimes well-meaning Christians uh, will say things that are not necessarily helpful to understanding death when, when somebody dies. Uh, certainly, people who are not Christians, you often hear this. You go to funerals, or you a celebration of life, as I think most funerals are now referred to, in, at least in the secular world, uh, where they try to stay as far away as they possibly can from mentioning death and the reality of death. Um, but sometimes even Christians and well-meaning Christians will say things, and I, I really think it's because we don't think of the future, uh, the last things, this big fancy word, eschatology, uh, sometimes all that means is the study of the last things, but we don't think about those things, I think, biblically, or we sometimes get a, worried off from it, and we think about some of the, the trees that are in these things, that when will Jesus return, and details around it, instead of the realities of things like death, heaven, hell, the resurrection. All those things have to do with eschatology. And you'll sometimes hear people uh, talking about people who have died and saying, you know, they're in a better place and so forth, which is absolutely true. 
uh, when a believer dies, they are absolutely in a better place. They are with the Lord. However, uh, sometimes the emphasis, I don't think, is placed where it should be, which is they are in a better place now. But sometimes it seems that the idea can be given that this is sort of the eternal state where people are now, the body in the ground there with Jesus, that's sort of the end. That's not the end. That's not the eternal state. That is the, what we call the intermediate state that we actually even talked about uh, in our corporate confession of faith uh, that we did uh, tonight. So the fact is that this intermediate state, uh, when somebody dies and their soul goes to be with the Lord, that is not the final state. That is not, in a sense, what we mean when we say heaven. It is, but it's different at the same time. So it's an intermediate state uh, where we, our soul goes to be with heaven. So I'll get to that in a second. But he doesn't want them to be unaware because he doesn't want them to grieve as the world does. Now, he doesn't want them uh, to uh, uh, do this. Now, just very quickly, sleep. Um, sleep's just a, a word that's used as an analogy for being dead several times in the Bible. Uh, Paul uses that way. Jesus uses that way when he's speaking of Lazarus and he tells his disciples that Lazarus is asleep and then they don't understand him. And so he just tells them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead, uh, but I'm going to uh, wake him up. So he's talking about those who are dead. And the idea most likely when Jesus uses sleep to refer to death is the fact that it is not permanent, uh, this, this sleep. They will uh, eventually awake. I don't care how tired you are, how knocked out you are. I think Eliza looks like she's asleep up there. Um, she, at some point, uh, is going to wake up. Uh, and the same thing with whoever, whichever person it is, when a person dies, they are going to, quote-unquote, wake up. Uh, this state in the ground is not the end uh, for them. The sleep of death is not the end. Now, just quickly, I need to say something about uh, false teaching that is not common at all, I don't think anymore, but has been before. Uh, if you've ever heard of soul sleep before. Uh, and um, I used to think that there were some uh, Lutherans that held to that, but I don't think there are. I think it's mainly Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and other people, but who teach basically that when you die, right now if you're a believer, you basically go to a, a state like you were in before you were born. So you just are not really there, and the next conscious moment you have is the return of Jesus and then uh, the resurrection, because they can't make this dichotomy uh, of your soul and, and body not being together. Um, however, the, the Bible very clearly teaches uh, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, and Paul was not using that in some sort of spiritual way where he didn't mean that you'd actually be in the presence of God. Um, he means that he actually would be and is, and that all of us as well, if we die, we go straight into God's presence, uh, though without a body, which is somewhat strange, but I don't know how that works, but somehow our soul goes to be with God uh, when we die. Uh, Jesus told the thief on the cross, uh, after the, the thief had repented and asked Jesus to remember him when he came in his kingdom, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, that day, that thief, whose body was still hanging on the cross and then probably taken and thrown out into uh, the, the 
Kidron uh, Valley with the rest of the corpses and everything. Uh, well, he was in glory in heaven with Jesus, even though his body was there in the ground uh, decomposing. Paul, in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, said that he's having this really difficult time because he can't decide if he should continue on in the flesh, uh, if he should continue on helping out the churches, or if he should depart to leave and be with Christ if he wants to die, basically, and go be with Jesus, which he says is far better. Now, again, as I believe it was Derek Thomas was talking about, uh, I don't think that Paul's point is just that he could use a really good rest right now. So he's far better. He really wants to go take a very long nap, and that's why it's far better to go be with the Lord. No, it's because Paul realizes when he dies, which he would and is dead right now, uh, he would immediately be ushered into the presence of his Lord uh, however, so there isn't, soul sleep is not a biblical doctrine. Again, when you die, if you're a believer, your spirit, your soul, same thing, when, you're, when you die, your soul goes immediately into the presence of God and glory for a believer. For an unbeliever, your soul, your spirit, immediately goes to hell. Uh, but they both, this is an intermediate state. That is not the ultimate state. That is not how we will be uh, forever. And that's not what Paul gets excited about either, because that's not the final state. So just said a minute ago, Paul will talk about going to be with Jesus is far better than what we have right now. Uh, no matter how close your walk is with the Lord, uh, it will be far better than you can comprehend when you are in, in his presence. And Paul knew that better than any of us do. However, what got Paul excited was not the intermediate state. What got Paul excited was the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection from the dead, and that is what he's talking about here. Um, you know, we sometimes have the idea that Christianity, that the big uh, controversial thing that people mocked Christians for when, you know, Paul was in Athens preaching and the Athenian philosophers mock him when he brings up the— we sometimes think it's that Paul was talking about an afterlife, and that after you die, that there's some sort of reality, your soul continues on or whatever. And that's when they started mocking him. That's not what they were mocking him about. They did mock him. But it's because Paul started to talk about, it's literally in Greek, the, the dead bodies, the corpses being raised back to life. That's what he talked about. That, that's when they started to scoff. But if he just, if all he were saying is that when you die, there's some sort of afterlife, most people, most even Greeks and pagans back then agreed with that. It was the fact of your physical body being resurrected uh, in like manner of Jesus as the first fruits. Uh, that is when people sat up, and again, the Athenians who, and the, the philosophers were the ones who would mock Paul because, of course, they believed, as we've talked about in 1 John, that, that matter was evil, uh, so they thought this is silly. But again, this is what Paul is excited about, is the resurrection from the dead. And the Thessalonians had picked this up from him, and they're afraid now that those who had died, uh, somehow they're going to miss out in some way uh, from the resurrection of the dead. But again, Paul states in verse 14 and uh, verse 15 uh, that as sure as Jesus is risen from the dead, just as certainly as Jesus, if it's true that Jesus has physically risen from the dead, which he has, 
uh, believers will also just as certainly be raised from the dead as well, just like Jesus. Uh, he's the first fruits, but believers will absolutely follow in like manner as Jesus did. We will physically be raised from the dead. So this whole scene is depicted in verses 14 through 17. Uh, we're going to read in our passage. So again, he doesn't want them to mourn because of this truth. Starting in verse 14, since, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who have died in Christ will uh, be raised uh, right here. He explains what he means in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So Christ will return. Dead believers will be raised. And he says first that we will not precede them and that they will be first. So apparently there's some sense in which whoever is alive when Christ returns will be there for a brief moment where the dead in Christ will first be raised from the dead. They will be resurrected. Uh, and if, if Christ were, were to return right now, our beloved believers uh, would be resurrected while we're still here when Christ returns. And we, or those, Paul includes himself, and people debate whether or not Paul thought he had, Christ would return during his lifetime. I tend to think that he at least thought it was possible, and then as time went on, he started to think it's probably not going to be as soon as he thought, but uh, he, this could be a rhetorical advice, uh, a, re, a rhetorical device. Uh, but we say this to you know, children in, all the time when they'll talk about Jesus coming and say, you know, I can guarantee you one thing when they'll say it's probably far off. They'll say, you could die today, and you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. So always be ready for Christ's return. We, nobody knows the day or hour. And Matt brought up Harold Camping and lots of other people that will tell you, you know, things are getting bad, and I think it's about to happen. We don't know. And Jesus clearly says the one thing he lets you know is no one knows the day or the hour. Not even the Son, not the angels, but only the Father uh, in heaven. But we do know that he will return, so we are to be uh, ready at all times. But again, there'll be some sort of transformation of believers where our bodies will be, uh, will be changed to be glorified like Jesus' body was, uh, to have resurrected perfect bodies uh, where we have no effects of the sin, of the sin, of, of sin on our bodies, no aging. I mean, we talk about aging. Um, aging is a slow death. It really is. I, I've, uh, again, with my students, I'm starting to get more white or gray in my beard. I can't talk about the hair on my head because most of that's already gone. But if I talk about the hair on my face and I'm starting to get more and more, uh, I think it's a good picture of death uh, in our lives. And for the Christian, this should not be something that we run away from, uh, the reality of death. Uh, for the unbeliever, it's a terrifying reality, and it should be. But for us, it is not, and it should not be. Now, I don't mean 
actual process of dying. I've heard people are like, oh, I don't, I'm not scared of dying at all or anything. You know, the process in certain ways sound like it could be pretty scary and pretty painful, but afterwards, uh, that part is where we should not, and we know even no matter what happens, God will be with us through whatever way God calls us home. But your hair, the favorite topic of mine, but your hair color, whether you naturally have black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, red hair, whatever, God gives you a certain amount of pigment for your hair. And like a pen that you're using and eventually starts to run out and as you're using it's getting lighter and lighter and so forth, well, that's what happens with our hair. And it doesn't matter, again, what ethnicity, if you have curly hair, straight hair, whatever, after a while it starts, if you, let's say you have jet black hair, after a while it starts to get a little less jet, I guess. It starts to get, it happens with dogs and so forth, they start to get more of a kind of cloudy gray, smoky gray. And then eventually it turns to sort of a gray. And then eventually if you live long enough, your hair starts to run out of its pigment, so it turns to white. Again, it doesn't matter if you're of African descent, if you're European or whatever, everybody's hair does that because it runs out at a certain point. And our bodies will run out now. It's, it's an effect of sin. We will be made... This is my little analogy, but we'll be made where the pigment will never run out. Uh, we'll be made where we will never have an expiration date. Our bodies will be glorified like Adam and Eve's were before the fall. So our aging is a sign of the fall. Us getting sick is a sign of the fall. And when Christ returns, we'll be fitted and all the effects of sin will be done away with that. There will be no more of those things. Uh, we won't have to worry about any of those things. You know, again, I think for a Christian, aging is something that we wouldn't, shouldn't run away from. Um, you know, some of the, the, and I'll talk to my students about this, some of the things about getting older I actually enjoy. Because for a Christian, there's a sense in which we look forward, as Paul did, to the day we meet the Lord. Now, some of the things that come along with that, you know, we can all laugh and everything, but they're not fun. You know, you start to ache and get other things that come along with getting older that are not fun. But the fact that you're getting closer and closer to that day to seeing the Lord, that should not be something like the world does, where they just run away from it and absorb themselves in whatever they can so they don't have to think about that. And again, for the unbeliever, and this should cause us to want to go and reach out to unbelievers, they should be afraid of death because they do not have Christ in their place. They will be raised from the dead, but not in Christ. They'll be raised to a, a resurrection of judgment. Paul even talks about in First. In this letter, in the first chapter, when he talks about the fact that we're waiting for his son from heaven, the believers whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For believers, there's wrath coming. And for believers, we've been delivered from that. But for unbelievers, they're not delivered from that. They're waiting for wrath to come. So again, that is the biggest, one of the biggest privileges and joys of being a Christian is that we're going to die. Uh, but we do not need to face it because it's not the end for us. It's really a passageway into the presence of the Lord, and we will be raised. Now, really quickly, I just need to say, when it talks about Jesus' return um, in verse uh, 17, or I'm sorry, verses 16 and 17, uh, Paul is very clearly talking about the, the return of Jesus, the second coming. Uh, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds. 
And uh, so we shall always be with them, uh, be with the Lord in the air. Uh, I'm sorry. And so we will always be with the Lord. Um, this, this language of going to meet God in the air um, is used twice, or t- I'm sorry, two other times in the Bible. And both times, one is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. It's when the, the bridegroom shows up and the party goes out to meet the bridegroom as he comes near the village and bring him back into the village. And the other time is in Acts chapter 28 when Paul's getting close to Rome. And as he gets there, if you remember, as he gets close to Rome, you've got to go a little ways. It's not, Rome's not right on the coast. The people come out to see him. The believers come out to see Paul, and then they go back. It is the same thing here. That the idea here is that believers, uh, like a greeting party, meet Jesus in the air, but then not, at least if you see, I don't see this anywhere in the scripture, and no, neither did anybody for 1,800 years, that they're going to meet Jesus in the air and then take off to you know, some cloudy place or something like that. It's that they'll be raised as the resurrection of their bodies, meet Jesus in the air as the welcoming party, and the idea is welcoming him as he comes back to reign on the earth as the king forever of a new heavens and new earth. So the idea of believers, of this being a secret, and also of these resurrected bodies going to be with Jesus, but then going some other place. Um, again, I don't know how we get there uh, without reading that in. And again, uh, this isn't, you know, history is not determinative, but it's a good guide, and uh, nobody ever saw that in the Bible for 1,800 years. I would argue it's because it's not there. But again, we can get into discussions about that, and that's a lot of times what happens. People, that's all they would want to talk about is that part, and that's not the big part that is uh, part of um, a, a tree that we could and should talk about, because I think it's wrong. I, I think it can lead to some wrong in terms of incorrect, and I think it can lead to some uh, bad theology that can lead to some bad practice. But again, that's not the point. The point is that we'll be with the Lord forever. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon's quote about this whole issue, he says this, whatever ideas we have concerning the details of Christ's coming, so whatever ideas we have concerning the details of Christ's coming, this summing up of the whole matter is unalterably precious to us, so shall we always be with the Lord. Uh, No matter who is right in debates about eschatology and so forth, about Christ returning and when and all these things, if you're a believer, you will always be, or forevermore, be with the Lord. Even if you're, or if it happens to be me, I will repent and ask for forgiveness. I don't think I'm wrong, though, but um, I will still be with the Lord by the grace of God. That is what is important here. Um, I remember somebody who very much did not hold to the rapture of the church, whatever position, uh, saying one time, he did not hold that, neither do I, uh, but uh, saying that, you know, he's willing to change his mind, you know, mid-flight if need be, though. And, uh, but the main point is, if you're a believer, you're going to be with God forever. That is what is supposed to encourage you, not the exact details. It's like when people ask about heaven, I can tell them, you, if you're a Christian, you will not be disappointed. I can guarantee you that. So you can, again, take that to the bank. Right, Samuel? Trying to get the, the younger generation's approval of that. Um, last thing I want to say real quick, though, is grieving. Uh, the whole point of this also is that they wouldn't grieve as the world does. Uh, it is as unbiblical as anything to say that Christians should not grieve. Paul says we should not grieve as the world does, as those who do not know the Lord. In fact, he says as those who have no hope. 
Um, somebody who has no hope grieves. They don't know where their loved ones have gone. At best, they have unfounded hopes or wishes, or they can tell themselves certain things. Christians should have absolute certainty about those who have died in the Lord, those who are, have believers. But the Bible is not saying it is wrong for you to grieve. You're not being spiritual. Um, Although sometimes it's put forward that Jesus at Lazarus' tomb was just breaking down because he missed Lazarus so much, and that's, Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead. So, I mean, Jesus let him die. I don't think he was doing this because he missed Lazarus, but he is looking at the effects of sin, which, of course, the last effect is physical death, and looking at people grieving, and Jesus cries out of, he cries, the actual Greek is that he's outraged. Uh, but he's upset with looking at the world and sin and what it's done in our world, including death, and he's not okay with it. Again, I wish there were some younger guys here today, but there's this movement amongst younger guys to be a stoic. That's what a real man does. They don't let their emotions take over and nothing affects them, and that's not biblical at all, meaning also like Jesus. It's not being a man. God has given us emotions. Are we to be ruled by our emotions? No. But are emotions necessarily bad or anything? No, God gave them to us pre-fall. So we should not be okay when we see wicked things in the world. We should rejoice over what is good. But we do not grieve as the world does. Because we know, we know for, unbe- for believer, believers, I'm sorry, that they are with the Lord and they will be raised from the dead. Again, as certainly as Jesus is raised from the dead, physically, we will be raised from the dead physically as well. So again, we are in no way are we saying uh, that it's wrong to grieve. We're to, to grieve with those who grieve. Uh, Jesus grieved even o- over wicked Jerusalem in Matthew 23, over the leaders. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a, a, a chick or a mother, a hen, I'm sorry, gathers her chicks together. He says, but you would not. He, he weeps over them. He's not okay with wickedness, and we're also not just to walk around and I'm stoic and I'm not, that's not, you don't, if there's, I'm not preaching anybody, if I don't believe anybody here has this, but it's very common amongst younger guys, they'll read uh, certain stoic philosophers, I had a senior in high school this year who would read Marcus Aurelius and tell me about his sentences, which was about, basically, uh, about how you don't let, you know, things in the world really affect you much, and it's a front, and you can tell it is, because all of us have emotions, of course, we're not to be driven around by them, but also it is right to have them and grieve in a godly way. So we should grieve when people die, but not as the world does. So again, with all of this, uh, the point is that we encourage one another with these words. Uh, when a believer dies, um, you know, there is a sense in which there should even be a sense of rejoicing. There's grief, absolutely, but there's rejoicing. This is not it. As Pastor Matt even said, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But we have a home. Uh, And it's not as disembodied spirits floating around on clouds playing harps. It's with our bodies. uh, Coming back to a a, a renewed, remade, perfect new heavens and new earth where Christ reigns with his people eternally. Uh, But lastly, I must say, this is only for people who are in the Lord. I've already mentioned it, but for anybody, if there's anybody here tonight, but also people that we know, uh, and we all know people, and have, unfortunately, we all have loved ones who do not know the Lord. Um, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, they have the 
the right expectation of judgment, of a day of wrath, a, a horrible day. You know, before I was saved, before I was a Christian, um, and I was not a believer, but uh, by the grace of God, I still was afraid enough about what might happen to me uh, after I died. I was afraid, and I, that, actually, that fear actually kept me from going and doing more wicked things than I think I uh, did or wanted or whatever, because I was afraid of hell, even though I wasn't a believer. That's not um, necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what's bad is when people don't have that fear anymore. Uh, but again, we should be encouraged, but we should also go uh, encourage one another, and we should also reach out to our loved ones, uh, because they can know uh, through Jesus Christ this reality of the wrath of God to come uh, being absorbed for them by Christ, that they don't need to fear that anymore because they know the cross, that's where Jesus actually took that upon himself, that I don't need to fear that anymore. I'm a sinner, uh, but my sins have been forgiven because they've already been paid for, because Jesus paid for them. And they can know that based on the Bible, on God's word, uh, that they can go confidently knowing that one day I, I will be in glory forever with the Lord. So, uh, praise God for his grace. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that the reality is, again, as we read, according to your word, uh, anyone who has died as a believer is with you, and they are not going to miss out on anything of your second coming. Uh, they will be raised, Lord, and we also will be changed. And uh, Lord, as uh, your servant Spurgeon even said, uh, we will be with you forever. That is our consolation. That is what we, uh, Lord, that is what the believer wants, is to be with you. Uh, Lord Jesus, you said that eternal life is not just existing forever. Eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ who you sent. Father, we can even experience this eternal life now, and Lord, we do pray. Um, we thank you that this is a reality. Lord, we thank you you come into the life of people who are lost, Lord, who don't know you, who are alienated and strangers and hostile and blind and facing wrath, Lord, and you come and you rescue them as you did the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we do pray for people that we know, that we love and care about who are utterly blind to what awaits them. Would we share this message because it's by the hearing of the gospel that people uh, do come to faith, Lord. Again, would you... Um, just be with us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.